0: fact we're looking at some of the famous lovers in the Bible and today it's going to get pretty hot and pretty steamy let me tell you from where we're going to look but we also have some famous couples right here in our church and every week through the month I, I want to highlight a couple of these uh, couples that we have in our church that are heroes to me so let's see picture number one that we have up there wow that guy that guy kind of looks scared doesn't he do you know who that is that is Ken and Debbie Franklin right there. Wow, Ken. Man, that's awesome. Ken, I want to tell you, the, the, the reason I wanted that picture up there is because, let me tell you, you got a prize, buddy. I mean, that, that Debbie is just out gorgeous, isn't she? Wow, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? Wow, I'm telling you. Ken, Ken and Debbie are good friends of, of ours Ken Ken and I have uh, we've ridden hundreds of miles together uh, on motorcycle he on his and me on mine all right we're not okay just get that get that clear all right Here, here's what I want to say about that I love to ride a motorcycle fast I mean I like to I like to boogie on down the road but Ken likes to go faster than I do I mean uh, man he can just take off and fly Here, here's what I am so thankful uh for, about for Ken and Debbie. Not only have they been married, I think, 47 years, but they have raised three great kids. Give them a big hand for that, three great, great kids. Uh, their daughter, Jackie, their son, uh, Jay Jack, and their son, Ryan. Both of those boys have played major league baseball. Now, Guys, let me tell you, that, that is pretty remarkable right there. Uh, to have the genes, the DNA, to produce two kids that actually play in the major leagues—that—that that is awesome. But Ken tells me that the best athlete in the family is actually his daughter Jackie. You know, she—she she was the best one. But I'll tell you what—they got a great family, uh, three great kids. They have wonderful grandchildren. Ken and I got this thing going. He's trying to get our families connected. Uh, he's got a good-looking grandson. He's trying to hook up with my daughter Callie and. Uh, <laughs> And I think, I think the reason he wants to do this is because we could have some great family reunions, couldn't we? Uh, just keep working on it, man. Just do that. Give Ken and Debbie a big hand. I'm proud of them. Man, I'm thankful for them. They're awesome. Picture number two. Picture number two. Look at that, would you? Wow. Man. Kenan, you're looking good, dude. That's Kenan and Angel Polk. Here's, here's why I wanted their picture up here today. They are indeed a Kavanaugh love story. All right? They met right here at church. Now, if, if, this, if, if this is a story, and if it's not, I'm making it up. All right. But here's, here's what I think the real story is. Uh, Angel was invited to the church here. Uh, Kenan was already coming. And the very first time they saw each other was right here at Kavanaugh. Uh, Keenan had eyes for Angel I think he got her phone number that very first visit and the rest is history right there they, they dated in this church they got married in this church and they have raised two awesome kids in this church isn't that great? man I'm so proud of them I love them Keenan and Angel are, are great friends of mine I love them and guys we celebrate your marriage and your family what a good example you are to us let's give both these couples a big hand would you do that all right, I've got one more picture I want to share with you. It's a different kind of picture right here. Uh, this is this is the devastation that occurred in Moore, Oklahoma, May twentieth, uh, two thousand and thirteen, when the EF five tornado came through. It completely destroyed this neighborhood. The only thing that was left standing is this dorm, dome storm shelter, a dome tornado shelter. You see the dome right there? Have any of you ever seen or been in a dome shelter before like this one? Anybody? Anybody? One or two hands, all right, that's all. Uh, these, are, these are great for a tornado or a storm. We just don't see very many of them. I am very familiar with a dorm tornado shelter because my granddad Whitmire had one in his backyard all the years I was growing up. Now, let me just spend a minute telling, telling you about Witt. That was his name, Whitmire, Whit. We call him Whit. Uh, he, he was, uh, he was a, a great man. He was a, a mountain of a man. Stood six foot two, weighed about 235 pounds, solid muscle. I mean, this guy, he was, he was, if you want to know how good looking my granddad Whitmire was, I am a perfect resemblance of him, all right? I mean, I look just like Whit, especially when when my hair short looked just like him. But he was was a mountain of a man. His whole life was spent outdoors in construction. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, he was the supervisor of a big construction firm. Built houses and large buildings all through the Permian Basin, Midland, Odessa, Big Spring. Uh, when I when I was a kid, I remember him coming home one day. He was probably close to sixty years old, and he was bragging to Gran about what he did that day. He 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 threw a sledgehammer all day long, and he outlasted all the young bucks on the on the work side. That just he was a tough guy. When he was about thirteen years old, he got on a horse and rode from Midland, Texas, into New Mexico looking for work. I mean, he was just a man's man. He was, a, he was an awesome man. But he was terrified of storms. I mean, he, he was terrified of tornadoes. And so he bought one of these dome storm shelters. And anytime a storm came up, he would get whoever was in the house, and I spent the night with him a lot back then. He would take Gran, uh, their, their little chihuahua dog Ladybug, and me, and we would head to the storm shelter. Why? Because he was afraid of storms. Well, every marriage is going to encounter storms. All right, Whether you've been married 47 years like Ken and Debbie or you've been married one day, <laughs> you are going to encounter storms. They happen throughout your marriage, whether they're financial storms or health storms, maybe trouble having kids, maybe trouble raising kids, all right? We all face storms, but perhaps the greatest storm a marriage faces is the storm of unfaithfulness. How do we shelter ourselves from such storms? How do we recover from that kind of storm hitting our marriage? Well, we learn from the relationship of two very famous lovers in the Bible, David and Bathsheba. So turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, or look on the screen behind me. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, and here's what it says. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her own house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Oh boy. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts to your word and teach us from it today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me reintroduce you to King David. He is perhaps the greatest hero of Hebrew history. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. God loved David, and David loved God. But he also had some dangerous flaws in his life. And because of this, a huge, devastating storm blew into David's life and also into the marriage of Bathsheba and Uriah. These events are included in the Bible to to instruct us, to warn us, and also to encourage us. So let's look at this this story this morning and see how we can avoid this kind of storm or recover from this kind of marriage storms. Uh, Six points I have, but I'm going to talk fast, so you listen quick, all right? Number one is the cause. What causes these marriage storms? Verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, some would speculate that David is at a very critical age in his life. Maybe, maybe he's going through that midlife crisis. He has accomplished and c- accumulated very much. And, and perhaps David doesn't realize just how vulnerable he was. Uh, this was the season of the year when he would have typically been out with his army and military campaigns. And, and the text specifically says... But David remained in Jerusalem. It, it, it's almost as this passage is signaling us that David is making this huge mistake. And so here it is. David was not where he was supposed to be, nor was he doing what he was supposed to be doing. And guys, let me tell you, that's, that's the first thing that's going to get us in trouble when we're not where we're supposed to be and when we're not doing what God created us to do. So here is David by himself in Jerusalem, unoccupied, unengaged in his life's true purpose. And he is extremely unguarded. He's the king, so he can basically do whatever he wants to do with whomever he wants to do it. And that is a very dangerous position to be in if you are not riveted to a higher purpose and calling in your own life. I really kind of think David got to a place in his life of entitlement, or at least he thought he was entitled. He had done so much, and he was so powerful, he must have thought to himself, you know what, I deserve this. But he didn't. So here's the first important way to shelter yourself and your marriage from this kind of storm. I'm going to pull that dome Uh, storm shelter back up there, and here it is. This is what we need to do. We need to stay focused on our God-given responsibilities. We need to stay focused on our calling and our purpose in life. You need to maintain your daily walk with God and not let up for one single moment. There is no indication that David was depending on God like he did when he wrote Psalms 46.1. He said in that verse, God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. And he is if we're looking for him. But apparently David wasn't. So church, listen to me. Maintain your relationship with your spouse. Maintain your relationship with your children. Stay engaged in fulfilling God's purpose for your life. To stray away from these purposes even for a day or a moment is to open up your life to temptation and compromise. And that brings me to point number two, the compromise. Verses two and three. One evening David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of his palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said... Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So here's the deal. David had his eye on another man's wife. David's also married. (laughs) Uh, That's a a story for a different sermon, though. Uh, He he took advantage of of that, and as a king, he took the power that was his, and, and he had multiple wives and multiple concubines, and all that adds up to is a lot of trouble. All right? But that's a different story right there. This relationship with Bathsheba, however, reveals a personal flaw in David's heart that led to this huge fall in his life. David knew that in the creation account of Genesis and then also in the law of Moses, God clearly establishes the sanctity of marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman for life. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God intended a home and a marriage and a family to be. But David compromised. Now, I know that that the world in which all of us live in every day is filled with these kinds of stories. You see it fleshed out before your eyes every day. Stories of people flirting with one another. Stories of, of people sleeping around with each other. And much of the entertainment that we expose ourselves to blatantly reinforces this kind of lifestyle. And that makes it all the more important and challenged for us as the people of God to hold up the banner of the sanctity of marriage as God has established it. It says that in the evening David got out of bed. I don't know, maybe he was taking an afternoon nap. And he was lounging in the cool breeze of the the evening on his rooftop of his palace. And from that elevated position, David could look out over his city and his kingdom and see the other houses and the roofs of the other houses. And the Bible says that his eye happens to catch Bathsheba taking a bath on her roof. And, And every translation you read out of reinforces the fact that she was a knockout. I mean, she was some kind of beautiful And so he sees her. Now, he may have accidentally glanced in that direction. And if so, there's nothing wrong with that. It became a sin, however, when he allowed his glance to turn into a gaze. And he stayed there. And he was hooked. I don't know if you've ever heard this old saying. I I reminded myself of it this past week. You can't keep birds from flying over your head but you can keep birds from making a nest in your hair. You ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that before? Well, you learned a new one today, all right? You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep birds from building nests in your hair. Verse 4 says, Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. How do we avoid a storm like this? Well, let's look at our storm shelter again. You you need to recognize temptation early. I mean, right when it first happens, you need to recognize that this is a temptation, and then you need to take steps to escape that temptation. When the storm comes, dude, don't just stand there. Run for cover. told you this story before, but it's worth repeating. When I, when I was a kid, we lived in Midland, Texas. in fact, we lived out in the country in Midland. there were, there were cotton fields all around us, you could see for miles. One Sunday evening we were, we were heading home from church and uh, I, I'll never forget exactly where we were, Dad, on the road that we were on. And, and, and the sky was kind of weird looking. It was real red outside. It was evening about to get dark. And my sister and I are in the back seat and she looks out. Uh, the window of that old Chevrolet, and, and she saw those clouds, and she said, hmm, those clouds look like they could very easily form a tornado. And I mean, we're just little kids, and she's spouting off some meteorological thing over here. And so uh, here's what I did. I was just a little kid, and I looked at her, and I said, Shrita, you're stupid. <laughs> you're being stupid. And I am just talking to people my generation or older. When, whenever you did something like that and an argument was about to begin, your parents were in the front seat, you were in the back seat, you got the arm slap. You remember that? They didn't care who they hit, they were just slapping back there. So I got the arm slap for calling my sister stupid, believe it, she was stupid. I mean that was just that was stupid talk, man. I mean Tornado. You ain't going to have no tornado. So anyway, we got home, pulled the car into the garage, uh, and we all took our position. Dad flopped in the recliner. That was his spot. <laughs> Crank that recliner out. My sister and I were in the floor. Mom was in the kitchen. She was frying up our supper for Sunday night supper, fried bologna sandwiches. Woo, doggie. Now we're talking fried bologna. That's healthy. We loved it. Dad told me to turn on the TV, and, and I was the remote control. I mean, that was long before remote controls. And we only had like two or three stations back then, and so you had to go to change the station. You had to turn a knob. Anybody remember? Anybody as old as I am remember that kind of nonsense? What well, man, you had to, that was exercise, turning that TV. And so we were watching a great show. I don't know, maybe Mannix. I don't know what was on. But uh, all of a sudden, the weatherman, showed up on our team this is years ago man i mean like a hundred years ago or something i don't know and and he said he said uh, there has been a funnel cloud spotted seven miles north of midland headed straight for midland texas please take cover now well we live six miles north of midland okay and about then we heard it you could hear the rumble and i mean we were freaking out my, my mom was scared to death why because she's the daughter of whitmire okay and, and uh, so she said, come on, kids, hurry. And so we followed mom into her bedroom, and she stuck us all under her bed. And she crawled under the bed, and I had my dog Pooty under the bed with me. <laughs> Pootie the poodle. And so here, here we are, <laughs> I mean, what's under the bed. Uh, we're on the north side of the house. That's the direction the tornado's coming from. I mean, that was really, mom, that really wasn't good thinking. But anyway, here, here we are under the bed. And and we're we're scared to death. I can remember this like yesterday, man. I was under that mattress, that bed, and I'm looking out, and my dad's not under there with us. And so we start crying, Treat and I do it. Dad, get under here. You're gonna die in the tornado, Dad. Please get under here. My dad wasn't getting under that bed. Yeah, I ain't getting under there. If a tornado comes through here, we're all dead anyway. I don't know if those were his exact words, but I'm telling the story, all right? So, I mean, that. And I can remember, Jason, I can remember I was under the bed looking out and and I was screaming for him to come. And what does he do? He sits right on the edge of the bed so his legs are right in front of me. And I grab him like I'm going to hold him down if the tornado gets him or something. He just keeps eating his fried bologna sandwich. Dude, let me tell you, that tornado went right over our house. It it picked up our swing set in the backyard, rolled it in a ball and set it down in our front yard. People who lived across the street from us lost all the shingles off of their house. Here's the deal though. We ran for cover. Those of us who had any sense, we we ran for cover. Today, most people who who live in Tornado Alley, they, they have some kind of storm shelter or closet in the interior of their home where they can seek shelter. But here's what you don't do. You don't stand out in the front yard and watch the tornado come through and carry you away. Right? I mean, you don't do that. You run for cover. I told that long story and I didn't even hit the point to you. Do you under You run for cover. 1 Corinthians 6:18 says, flee flee. You run from sexual immorality. As fast as you can, you run from it. Whatever form it takes, you run from it. Whether it be images on your computer screen or that flirtatious coworker or whatever the way of temptation to sexual immorality that comes to you, you flee from it as fast as you can. My go-to verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will provide the way of escape so that you can stand up under it, Guys, there is something that God obligates himself to in this passage. He says, I obligate myself to giving you the way of escape. With every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. That's his part. Our part is to take it. To stand up under it without giving in. But David doesn't do that. He plunges headlong into a destructive affair. Bathsheba goes back home, but what happens in David's palace doesn't stay in David's palace. Boy, Maybe David felt badly about what he had done, and and perhaps he thought that it would never be known that he could just move on with his life. But one day there was a knock on the palace door and the messenger brings word that Bathsheba is pregnant. And that leads to chapter number 3. We'll call it the great cover-up. Verse 5 says, The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now let me just pause right here and and throw this out to you and point something out that, that is very rarely talked about in this story. David not only committed adultery and immorality, But David also destroyed another marriage and ultimately and eventually another life. I don't know, maybe you noticed this earlier. When when David sends his servant to find out about this good-looking chick, the servant said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I mean, guys, think about this. This is another man's daughter. This was another man's wife. And I'm talking to the men in this room right now. Listen to me, guys. Sometimes men have such a low view of women. The the woman that they lust after on the Internet or the woman that is passing on the street that they're lusting after are just objects to be used for their own pleasure. Guys, let me challenge you with this. Think about this. That woman or that girl is somebody else's daughter. Dude, that'll change your thinking. Hmm? That woman that you're lusting after may be somebody else's wife. So when David gets the news that Bathsheba is pregnant, he goes into full crisis management mode. Uh, perhaps he thinks, you know what, I'm the king. I can take care of this problem. I can make it go away. Well, Bathsheba's husband Uriah is away at war with the rest of the army of Israel. We read later in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David gives the order to have Uriah brought home from the war. Give him a couple of days of R&R. Now King David is thinking, hey man if I bring this guy home he's, he's gonna go home and sleep with his wife. And then when everybody finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant they'll just think that it's Uriah's kid. But that's not what happens because Uriah is too much of a leader to enjoy that kind of visit with his wife when his buddies and and cohorts are still on the battlefield. So instead of going home to be with his wife, he stays right there at the king's gate and bunks with the king's servants. So David's plan A to handle this situation fails. So he kicks in plan B. He does the unthinkable. Verses 14 and 15, in in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So in short, David ordered Uriah's execution. So to the adultery David already committed, he now adds to the list murder. All because, and listen to this church, all because David is trying to control the situation instead of confessing his sin. So how do we avoid this kind of storm? Right here's our storm shelter. You need to be open and honest and humble about your sin. Now we all stumble in many ways, don't we? I'm looking out there, and and every one of us in this room, we've we've all made mistakes. I don't care how picture-perfect you are today and how picture-perfect your marriage is today. You've made mistakes. There have been problems in your home. One of the ways that we grow in our marriages is to learn how to repent. We need to repent to God, and we need to learn how to repent to our mates when we stumble. Now, I pray that that this kind of storm that we're talking about today specifically never happens or blows into your marriage. But if it does, the only way that you can rebuild your marriage after the storm is to be humble and to be honest. And you are humble and honest before God. And then you are humble and honest before your spouse. Hey, you got to come clean. And it hurts like the dickens, but you have to admit and confess. Later, David wrote about the sordid period in his life, and, and he looked back on all the deception in his life when he wrote Psalm 32. Listen to what he said. He said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Can can you feel the agony that David experienced because of this? Then verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. Well, praise the Lord for that. Well, Bathsheba grieves the death of her husband and, Then David brings Bathsheba into the palace, and she became his wife. And perhaps David thought, "Woo, man, great, this mess is fixed. But the Bible says that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And that brings about chapter number 4. I'm calling it the confrontation. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David. I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and read 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's the account of how God confronts David through the prophet Nathan. Very quickly, let me tell you how it played out. Nathan comes to David and says, King, uh, here's something that's happened in the kingdom. I want to get your read on this and tell me what you would do in this situation. We've got two different guys over here. One is a very rich man who has multiple flocks. He's very wealthy. He has anything he wants the other man over here, on, on the contrary, is very poor. He, he doesn't have multiple flocks. In fact, he only owns one ewe lamb. Only one lamb. And, and he loves this ewe lamb. In fact, it eats at his table and he holds this ewe lamb. It's, it's precious to him. Well, the rich man had some guests to come see him one day. And instead of taking one of the lambs from his flock and slaughtering it to feed his guest, he goes across the road... And takes this poor man's ewe lamb. And he slaughters the, the ewe lamb. And he feeds his guest with the poor man's ewe lamb. Well, King David becomes irate about this. He says, you tell me who that man is and I'll take care of him. I'll give him what's coming. Boy, the prophet Nathan turns on David and says, David, you are that man. Wow. Dude, Boom. I like the way the old King James Version says, David, thou art the man. Wow. Guys, let me tell you, that's a confrontation right there. You you might wonder, why did God do that? Why did God confront David that way? Well, bottom line is God loved David. And if God loves you, he's not going to let you stay in your sin. Hmm? God deals with David in a way that's going to not only correct him, but also restore him. Church, listen, it is a loving God who sends his messengers to get in our faces about our sins. And the best thing to do to shelter yourself in this storm is storm shelter number four. For for the sake of holiness, you need to learn how to be accountable to other people. I have to wonder how this story might have been different if David had not been so isolated in his life. What if he had Nathan close to him all the time, to whom he could be accountable to? Well, he didn't, and he paid for it. The next part of the story tells us about the consequences. When David hears Nathan's rebuke, David is sorry, and David does repent. But church, listen, there are still consequences to his actions. 2 Samuel chapter 12 describes all that will happen as a result of David's sinful choices. Verse 13 says, Then David said to Nathan, I've I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because you did this thing, You have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. Therefore, the son born to you is going to die. God's forgiveness is real. God's forgiveness is awesome. But that doesn't mean we are going to be shielded from the consequences of our own sin and our bad choices. The child that was born to Bathsheba, whom David conceived, would die. Because of that, there was a huge hole in David's heart. So, storm shelter number five, you need to think ahead to the potential fallout that's going to happen because of your sinful choices. Think beyond the pleasure and the exhilaration of the moment of sin to the days and the years of devastation and humiliation that are going to follow. When you have to face the people that you've hurt, when you have to face your spouse or your children, your friends, the non-believers before whom your witness has been destroyed. Let me tell you guys, Satan, Satan never shows you that when he's tempting you. He never shows you the day after or the morning after or the problems that are going to arise because of your sinful choices. He keeps that off the radar screen, but it's real, it's there. Is there anything good or anything redemptive that comes from this tragic story? Yes. Number six, the conclusion. Verse 24 of chapter 12. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Listen to this statement, church. God's power... God's grace is greater than our sin. God's power and God's grace is greater than our sin. Did David face severe and painful consequences for his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah? Absolutely. The most miserable time he went through in his life. Did David suffer because he got out of the will of God? Certainly. He wrote about it and he said, my bones are aching on the inside. But you know what? God didn't watch all of this unfold and say, oh boy, that David, man, he, he really messed up now. He, he, he's, he's ruined it. All my plans for him and all the things I had planned through him, that's botched up now. That's not going to happen. He's blown it. He's done for. I'm going to throw him on the heap over here. He won't be used anymore. No, God didn't say that. Why? Because God's grace and God's power are greater than our sin. Now, guys, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You've got to repent. You, you can't sin and then just keep living in that sin and accept, expect that God's grace and His power is going to be revealed in your life and everything's going to be great and there's going to redemption. That's not the way it works. You've got to repent. You've got to come clean. You've got to confess that and get rid of that. But when you do, God's power and God's grace is greater than our sin. The fact is, there was a genuine love between David and Bathsheba. And God did bless them with another son. They named him Solomon. Solomon would carry on the kingdom of his father. In fact, when you go to Matthew chapter 1, and it gives this ancestral chronology of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in verse 6. And Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Church, when, when, when the storm of sin hits our lives and our homes, here's the shelter. Claim God's grace because it's greater than our sin. 1 John 1.9 is my go-to verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And He can do that because Jesus paid the price for our sin on Calvary's cross. We see the gospel in this heart-gripping story. God's grace is greater than our sin. And my message to you today, church, is a message of hope. I don't care how bad you think you've messed up your life. God's grace is greater than your mess. I don't care how bad your marriage is. God's grace is greater than your sin. He can restore He can mend he can heal he can make it better than it was before because God's grace is the greatest Heavenly Father I pray that you would speak to hearts right now as only you can Lord I'm convinced that there's someone in this room who needs Jesus as their Savior they've never confessed their sins to you they've never received your gift of salvation, and it is my prayer that they would come this morning and receive that free gift of salvation. Lord, if there is a believer in this room that's uh, strayed from you, that they're away from you for whatever reason, I pray that they would see the the necessity today to come and recommit their life to you and, and get things right. Lord, I pray for every home in this room today, for every marriage that is represented, Help us to understand we we can't do life, we can't do family, we can't do home without the grace and the forgiveness and the power of God. So, Lord, I pray that you'd challenge our people today to come and and pray for that grace in their home. Maybe, Maybe they've experienced some kind of storm and they need to run to the storm shelter today. It could be that there are some couples that need to come to the altar and Just get things right with each other. Help us to understand, dear Lord, the the power in saying we're sorry. Lord, for those homes that are well represented here today and they're experiencing joy and faithfulness and things are good, help them not to forget that the enemy is just outside their house waiting to devour them. So, Lord, may we have some Some moms and dads and grandparents come today and pray hedges of protection around their family and their kids and their home. Lord, as this place is filled with your spirit and we sense his guidance in our life, may we respond to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? We're having what we call the invitation. I'm inviting you to come and pray today. Would you just step